BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Presented to you, as always, by Geek Vibes Nation. I'm your host, Nick Smith, and joining me on this fine Sunday afternoon is Jawan Carter. What up, Jawan? What's going on? Happy Father's Day to all the pappies out there. Indeed. Happy Father's Day to Joel Jimenez. Shout out to yep. our main man who uh, is on this side. Um, and, uh, you know, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there um, that are there for their kids. Um, no yes. happy Father's Day to you if you're a deadbeat. Um, so that's that's my 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 piece. Um, but yeah, uh, happy Father's Day, and uh, we got so much shit to break down, Juwan. Uh It's crazy because it's really only two topics, but like all of these topics have subtopics. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. We got to talk first. This is the first pod we've had since the Raptors defeated the Warriors. Uh, in Game Six to win the 2019 NBA Finals, um, I know you 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 have some some piece you have to make, um, so I'm going to give you the floor now to make said piece and never have to mention it ever again. Okay, because I want to be clear, I will never mention this again. Um, <laughs> def, you know, even when we have the show Tuesday, I'm not mentioning this ever again in my life. Fair enough. I want to congratulate and give uh, the highest of props to Kyle Lowry, who showed up this NBA Finals and lived up to being an all-star. Congratulations. You're a champion. No matter what hate I give you come October of this year, um, I cannot take that away from you. You are an NBA champion. Congratulations to Kyle Lowry. Um, that's that's pretty much all I want to say because I'm getting nauseous uh, as it is. Um, <laughs> but I am man enough 
to, you know, with all the hate I give him for not being, uh, for me thinking he's not an all-star, I have to give him props for a hell of a game he played in game six and a hell of a series he played. Um, so congrats to Kyle Lowry, NBA champion. Yeah, um, and congrats to the Raptors in general um, for, for winning the title. Uh, obviously, they, they had um, some, uh, uh, we'll call it, um, uh, very kind circumstances under which they played um, in these finals. Um, but they did have a hard road to get to the finals. I mean, they had to get through Philly. That took them seven games. Um, it looked like they were lost in that series, and Kawhi just willed them to victory. Um, they came down from a 0-2 deficit against Milwaukee to win four straight. Um, very, very impressive. Great defense that um, Nick Nurse employed against uh, Budenholzer's uh, team, and particularly Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, to win that series and you know like they just they played their numbers right and just dominated this series um so much so that you know the warriors had to risk so much um along the way and it obviously ended up costing them um a lot uh with you know the, the kevin durant injury and now the clay thompson injury um but before we get into that um, let's tackle game six. So Kawhi Leonard was not huge in game six. Um, he was kind of, he was absolutely the constant, but this was the worst game that he had out of the series. Um, he shot seven of 16 from the field. Um, he only had 22 points, um, six rebounds, three assists, two big steals though, and a huge block and only two turnovers, seven of eight from the line, uh, only one of five from three. Um, but he gave them enough, and their other guys really stepped up, those other guys being uh, mainly, uh, as you mentioned, Kyle Lowry, 9 of 16 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, uh, 26 points, plus 16, plus minus, the best of any player on the Raptors for that game. Um, and, you know, he had uh, 3 steals, 10 assists, 7 boards, um, just all-around great game by Kyle Lowry, particularly in the first quarter when, you know, the, the, they needed, the Raptors needed to come out hot and seize control, and Kyle Lowry was the guy who did that. Siakam probably had the best game of anybody in this particular game. He also had 26 points on 10 of 17 shooting, 3 of 4 from the line, 3 of 6 from 3. He had 10 boards. Three assists, one steal, one block, only two turnovers. Um, it, it, both of those guys stepped up. And that's kind of what we talked about all season or, or all series, all throughout the playoffs, um, that the Raptors, to win any given game, needed at least one other guy to step up and preferably two. They've got, they had a, a slew of guys who could step up, probably six, seven guys who could step up in any given game. Um, other than Kawhi. So, like, six guys other than Kawhi who could step up in any given game. And they got it out of Lowry and Siakam. Uh, Fred Van Vliet had a reasonably good game, 6 of 14 from the field, 5 of 11 from 3, 5 of 5 from the free throw line. Um, He played great all series, um, especially, you know, having to undertake the task of guarding um, 
Steph Curry for a lot of these minutes. Um, and, you know, essentially, uh, Nick Nurse trusted Van Vliet more throughout this series than he did Danny Green, as evidenced by Van Vliet playing 34 minutes in game six versus Danny Green's 18 minutes. Um, Serge Ibaka, another huge plus, 15 points in 22 minutes, 7 of 12 from the field. Um, he didn't do much outside of that, but he was just very efficient. Um, he was very good in the paint, um, you know, and, and from short distance, uh, and just added that extra oomph, that extra punch that they needed um, in this game, and he's kind of been doing that all series. Of course, he was the big um, savior in that game seven against Philly. Um, he was that one other guy who showed out um, outside of Kawhi Leonard in that game. And, like, just this team, like, they just proved to be a um, almost like a throwback team. One superstar, a lot of solid role players slash all-stars. You know, you got Kyle Lowry, obviously, who was an all-star this season. Um, Siakam probably should have been an all-star. Um, but, you know, he wasn't because, you know, he's still coming coming of age, but he's definitely going to win most improved player. So you had those two all-star level guys, and then, you know, outside of those guys, you just had these really solid role players in Gasol and Danny Green and Serge Ibaka, all veteran role players, and then you had these two young guys in Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell, um, who, you know, Powell did not give you much in any particular game, but he gave you the ability to rest your guys because you could trust him on the court for 10 to 15 minutes a night um, in order to get the necessary rest that you need for your other guys um, and and to be just a spark plug off the bench if, you know, Van Vliet's tired and, and Danny Green is not hitting his threes, you know, they can they can plug and play Norman Powell and, and you know, he'll, he'll come out and, and potentially give you um, just that spark that you need. Those eight guys were, you know, pretty much the lineups that Toronto ran throughout this whole finals. And it, it, it proved to be enough. Um, I definitely uh, think the most apt comparison to this team is the uh, 2011 Dallas Mavericks, where, again, you had one superstar in Dirk Nowitzki. You had two guys. Um, who were all-star level guys. Um, Tyson Chandler would go on to become an all-star the following season. That would be his only all-star appearance, Um, and that was when he went to New York. Um, But uh, he was already at that level. He just hadn't quite made it yet, so similar to that of Pascal Siakam. Um, And then you had a guy in uh, um, Jason Kidd uh, who was showing out as this kind of veteran not quite an all-star anymore, but still like on that on that kind of um, a positive level of his career, very similar similar to that of Kyle Lowry. Um, and then you just had like great role players around them. You had Jason Terry coming off the bench, um, kind of similar to your Fred VanVleet. Um, you had um, Sean Marion, uh, who was huge in um, their their run to win the championship. Um, and then you just had like a lot of other great pieces um, that just fit um, and just worked uh, for that team. Um, and uh, what, oh shit, what was his name? Josh. Um, 
fuck, I can't remember his name. He was really good for a small amount of time. Um, he was an all-star for like one year. I think he was on that team. Josh something. Um, he was a um, like a late first-round draft pick for them. Um, but, you know, he showed up for them. But I, I definitely think there are a lot of shades of um, that Dallas Mavericks team uh, and, and, and the blueprint that they laid out for this Raptors team. And, you know, props to them. They, they took it to the Warriors. Um, they pretty much dominated this whole series. The only two games they lost were extremely close and could have easily gone their way. Um, but they, uh, they were the better team throughout this series. Um, now, granted, they were obviously the Warriors were facing um, a slew of injuries, and, um, you know, that was obviously a factor. Um, but you know that's that's a part of uh, that's a part of NBA. They've benefited off it in the past. Um, you know whether that be um, the 2015 Finals, um, whether that be uh, 2017 against um, the Rockets, or 2016 even against the Spurs when Kawhi Leonard went down in Game One when they were up by 20 um, before he went down. Um, it's just the way it goes, man. Sometimes. Sometimes uh, you benefit off injuries, and sometimes um, it really hurts you. Um, I don't want to hear any bullshit about an asterisk next to this championship. Um, just like I don't want to hear any bullshit about an asterisk next to the Warriors in 2015 or the Cavs in 2016 with the Bogut injury and the Draymond suspension. Like, it, it, it almost always plays out where there are some key injuries to some team along the way. Um, that end up benefiting uh, a team that ends up winning it. Um, and we saw that. And like I said, the Raptors battled through the East. Um, they had to go down to the wire with Philly. They had to come back from an 0-2 deficit um, against uh, Milwaukee. And even, like, um, you know, in the first round, they went down 0-1 against the Magic. I don't think any of us really thought the Magic would, um, you know, end up winning that series. But you know, obviously, you, you yeah, yeah, maybe you did. Maybe you were like, oh, yeah. "Raptors gonna Raptors." <laughs> I, I was just about to say those exact words. It felt like Raptors were gonna rap, and and you know, it, it just <laughs> they got out of it. But, but I, I'll say this: no one can definitively tell me after that one game winner, it kind of felt like. Oh, my God. Come on. No, Toronto. The Magic? Like, you're going to lose to the Magic? It, it was the same feeling I got the year um, Paul Pierce had blocked Kyle Lowry, but it was 100% a foul. Um, and I think Brooklyn went on to win that series. It, it felt like that. It felt like, come on, no. Don't lose to these guys. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I originally reason, felt from it. Yeah, the biggest reason that I didn't um, – hold too much stock in that game was because DJ Augustine went off and DJ Augustine is not that level of player. Um, and we <laughs> saw that, you know, take its course throughout the remainder of that series. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, like um, I, I think a perfect example, um, like a parallel for the Raptors um, are, uh, and I know you're not like a huge college football fan, but maybe, Maybe you followed the Clemson Tigers a little bit just because I know um, Jonah um, is a big fan of them. Um, but 
they're like the Clemson Tigers of the NBA. Like we, there was there was a term called Clemsoning that always followed them around. Like they would never be able to. They always they always got close but couldn't like win it all. Um, and you know, once they finally won it all, that was put to rest. And then they subsequently won this past season and kicked the shit out of Alabama. Um, so you know, I feel like the Raptors have achieve that like Raptors gonna Raptor is no longer a, a saying just like Clemsoning is no longer a saying because um, it's only a saying until you prove everybody wrong and the Raptors were able to do that and props to them um, your follow-up thoughts anything that uh, you want to mention as far as um, what the Raptors were able to achieve throughout these playoffs and ultimately winning the NBA title uh, I think the biggest thing <clears throat> that I have to give the Raptors is perseverance. Uh, there's been numerous times. Because uh, remember, you didn't ha- – uh, and I'm not just saying it's just for you, but a lot of people didn't have Toronto beating Milwaukee. Um, they, Milwaukee just looked like the, the better team in all aspects. Um, but I remember telling you that I thought at some point, at some point, two things were going to affect the, the Bucks. It was either going to be youth and the fact that they had no one on that team um, that had uh, championship experience, and I also thought it was going to affect them that their star player was very one-dimensional. Um, and I also didn't like the fact that I felt as though at no point in that series did Giannis take it upon himself to use his length and shut Kawhi down. Um, so I thought those things playing into it, I thought Toronto, which, again, all of this is just so surreal to me. I just na- I'm nauseous thinking about it. Um, I just thought they had a better chance of making it out of um, that series. But you look at the Sixers game; that could have went uh, either way. The Bucks seemingly could have went either way. And I'll say this, man: Clay earned the nickname Mister Game Six. Uh, he was well on his way to possibly, possibly winning the Warriors at game six. That is a bad man. I am now starting to look at Clay, and I'm kind of like, have we been overrating Curry, or have we just been underrating Clay? Um, because I kind of Everybody's feel like been underrating Clay. Okay, perfect. Because the way I see Steph I, and Clay I love Clay is – He's barring on my favorite NBA player in the league today. I fucking – and I've been on that train – for a long time now. I think his defense is constantly underrated because he doesn't get the, like, steals and blocks numbers that you would, like, perceive from a good defender. But, like, he mm-hmm. just makes every possession difficult when he's guarding you. Um, like, the, the advanced analytics just don't, um, don't give him credit, um, you know, and that's, again, that's why, um, you know, like Jalen Rose said, um, analytics is a tool in the toolbox. It's not the whole toolbox. Um, right. And I firmly agree with him there. Um, and Clay Thompson is the perfect fucking example of that because he is an elite defender, an elite defender. And, um, and he's just clutch. He just makes buckets. He gets buckets. He makes buckets. Um, and, like, he's just – he's um, – He's everything that you want in, um, like, a number two guy. Um, he is the perfect number two guy um, on any team. And, he, you know, for the longest time since they've gotten KD, he's had to play the number three role. And if you notice, most guys 
when they're used to being the number one or number two guy who has to play the number three role, um, they don't transition well into that role. Um, but the guys who do are the guys who can play some good defense and hit clutch shots, i.e. your Clay Thompson, your Ray Allen in that big three when it was Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen. Because, um, you know, Ray Allen was kind of clearly the third option um, for, for that particular team. Um, but when you're dealing with your Kevin Loves and your Chris Boshes and things like that, um, you're just not getting enough out of them to warrant what you're paying them that you could maybe get as equally as much out of somebody that you're paying a lot less. With Clay Thompson, not the case. Um, he is, again, just my favorite player in the NBA. I love that fucking guy. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say after watching not only this run in the playoffs, but this series in particular, I no longer see – I'll put it like this. If you're telling me Steph Curry is a superstar, but Clay Thompson yeah. is just a star, I no longer view Steph Curry as a superstar um, because I don't think on any planet – like, I'll say this. When you watch Pippen and Jordan play, it was clear who the better player was. It was just obvious sure. who the better player was. Yeah. I don't look at Curry and Clay that way. I look at them and I go, I could any on any given day – Clay has way more intangibles than Steph Curry does. Just yeah. way more. Way I think more. they just work. I just think they work great together. I think you, no, you I, split them up, and neither one of them is as effective as they are when they're together. They're just a match made in heaven. Um, I think, but I, I, I agree with you in this sense. I think if you put Clay on another team. He's equally, if not close to equally, as effective as he is um, like currently because of those intangibles. Whereas if you, um, if you put Curry on another team, it can't be just any other team like it could be with Clay. Like you need to have the right pieces around Curry to unlock Curry's um, brilliance. Um, and if you don't have those pieces – it's a lot more difficult. Very similar to that of LeBron. Like, you need to have the right pieces around LeBron. And with a guy like Clay Thompson, he just fits anywhere and everywhere. There's not a team that you could put him on that he wouldn't give you everything that he gives you on the Warriors. He would give that on any fucking team that you put him on. Um, it, you know, especially given if you, if you had another star player with him. Um, and that's the beauty of Clay Thompson. That's why, unfortunately, um, and we'll, we'll get to this with, with his injury, um, but that's why I thought going into free agency, um, he was kind of the what I would have considered the most coveted free agent um, simply because KD was going to cost you way more and is older. Um, and Kyrie is, is like – Slightly better offensively um, as far as, like, getting his own shot. But Clay is just better in so many other avenues that I would value Clay above Kyrie Irving just personally. See, I don't I, – I think the aspects of Kyrie's game and Steph Curry's game are very overrated. And I think this, this playoff uh, – this year's playoffs proves that. In the sense of for yeah, Kyrie. can Steph Curry? Yeah. Well, for Kyrie and for Curry, because look at this: if you're trying to build a team, right, and you need a guard, a guard that can score, a guard that can defend. Clay has little to no 
uh, exposable weaknesses as far as, like, right. you can say, like, oh, I look at Clay, it's like, pretty oh, I'm much get barbecue just, chicken than that. Go ahead. It's pretty much just off the dribble. Like, when Clay is trying to take someone off the dribble, his handle, like, his handle is not nearly that of Kyrie or Steph. Um, it's not. But it's if you not, put, but. But if, but if you put him, but that goes back to my point is, you like, if you, so many players have that, that if you put him beside anybody, like, you could put him next to, like, say, a guy like Blake Griffin, who probably has better handles than him, um, better passing ability than him, um, but, like, if Blake Griffin had a dude like Clay Thompson, like, that is – you're just fucking cooking. Like, and that's the thing. Clay Thompson could just go to any team in the NBA and instantly make them, like, uh, that much better, no matter what team it was, no matter what the roster was. And that's just not necessarily true for a guy like Kyrie Irving or, or Steph Curry, um, at least to the same degree, in my opinion. That's why I'm saying if you're telling me Steph Curry is a – Superstar, but Clay is. Then you have to admit that Clay is a superstar as well. I would agree with you, and that's the biggest thing Mm -hmm. that I learned from this year's playoffs um, is that the gap between the two is not as large as the media would make you think. Like if you actually watch basketball, like watch them play, you could tell who the best player on that court is at all times. Let me not say best player in that sense, best overall player. Outside of Durant, best two-way player on that court, yes, at yeah. all times. So I look at Clay and yeah, I go, "If let, you're telling let, me, God, I just let's make no mistake. Like we're not sitting here saying that like Clay Thompson is on that same level as Steph as far as offense and as far as Steph being able to create his own shot, as far as having the the same kind of range as Steph because Steph's range is is just further away." Um, but all of that, you know, when you – seemingly at least, all of that becomes um, less valuable when you get into a really um, tough playoff series with a very good defensive opponent for several reasons. One, Clay six 6'7". Curry is what, 6'3". Um, so Clay can rise up over people who try to defend him. He doesn't need as much space to get his shot off. Um, which is, is which is back to the certainly basket. yes invaluable. He he can post up. He can do that as well. Um, he uh, kind of they both are great at like um, moving around off ball and coming off screens. They're both terrific at that. Which is that's why it's so valuable to have a guy like Draymond Green for that team when both of those guys are on the court because um, like a big who can handle the ball and then. Whoever the big is has to come out and guard him, um, and and he can just kind of freely move the ball to, um, you know, one of those guys coming off pin downs. Um, it's it's just a it's a match made in heaven for all three of those guys. Um, if if Draymond could just shoot the ball like he used to be able to, then they would be unstoppable. They would um, certainly have won this series if Draymond didn't shoot what twelve percent from three throughout the series. Something like that. It was it was mm-hmm. unconscionably low, um, but you know uh, he he has certainly digressed as far as three point shooting. Um, but so like Steph has the advantage offensively, and particularly Steph has the advantage um, with his handle. Um, but we didn't really see that in this series. 
Um, and I for one like game the we reason did. why. That for one game we did. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah it was it was a quiet true. forty-seven, but forty-seven nonetheless. It was very quiet. But but um, but I feel like the reason that we didn't see it time and time again was because they implemented their traps so well. The Raptors would not allow him to do that because they brought two guys on them on him throughout this whole series. So when they would when they would try to set up the pick and roll, um, Gasol or Abaka or Siakam or whoever would come out and like square him off and give Van Vliet or Danny Green um, or Kyle Lowry time to like get to recover and get back up on him and then they would fade off and so he never really had the lanes that like he's so accustomed to um, you know, throughout this series and he just He's not – Steph is great, but he's not an elite passer. Um, he's a very, very, very good passer. He's not an elite passer. Um, so, you know, when you do that and you're dealing with a 6'3 guard and you're putting a center right up in his grill and you have, you know, maybe a slightly taller guard um, or even slightly shorter, but like, a, a, you know, another guard with the speed necessary to come up and recover um, – you're just not allowing him to be able to get shifty and get to those lanes. Um, so again, like props to Nick Nurse in the way that he um, like rolled out this defense. Um, but yeah, like ultimately, I agree with you. Um, Clay Thompson's um, two-way play uh, supersedes um, Steph's uh, offense. But I will say this: I don't think I don't look at Steph as a bad defender. I think Steph is an average defender, which is more than a lot of point guards can say. Like, I think he's better than, like, say, your Damian Lillard or your Kyrie Irving as far as, like, awareness, knowing where to be, um, using his body in the right, uh, in the right way. Um, he, he's exceptional on, on defense. He's just not elite on defense, whereas Clay Thompson is elite. Um, and the gap between Steph's offense and Clay's offense isn't nearly as wide to me as Clay's defense and Steph's defense. Oh, sorry, I had myself on mute. Sorry, I look at it no uh, from the sense of, um, yeah, I mean that that's my biggest issue. I watched Steph Curry, and to me, the biggest person that needed, as much as people say Draymond called Durant, the person that needed Durant the most was was Curry. Because you were going to yeah, at some point I don't run agree into with a, that. Hold on, hold on, hear me out, hear me out. You were sure, at some point sure. going to run into a team who defensively would be able to stop all those screens and be able to come up and guard you. You want to know how teams can't double Curry? It's because you have someone like Kevin Durant on the court at all times. You sure. can't double anyone on I mean, the floor, or you can't even trap screens because it's like, cool, you trap Steph. Durant's wide open in the corner, or Clay's wide open in the corner, yeah. where he could pass it sure. to Draymond, who could set up someone else. So who's someone benefited else, right. the most from Durant is Steph Curry, because like I said, Clay to me is a guy who could score 40 without a dribble, or who could score 40 with six dribbles. That is how valuable Clay Thompson is. Like, he is, he is deadly. And although his mm-hmm. range is not as deep as Curry, it's still the second deepest. In the NBA, <laughs> so it's like the drop there, off. Is it, I would who, go who Damian has a Lillard. Three than Clay. 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but, fair enough. but I will give you this. Here's the thing. Clay doesn't have to have his deeper range because he's six foot seven and he can rise up and shoot over dudes. Um, Very true. That Steph and, and Dame can't. So at six three, those guys can't. So like, that's the difference. He doesn't need to have his deeper range because he can hover right at that three point line and rise up and shoot over him. Well, s- similar to Kevin Durant. Um, he didn't obviously he didn't have. Uh, you know, he's about four inches. Sh- four or five inches shorter than Kevin Durant, so he doesn't have quite as much flexibility. But, you know, he also usually has a guy guarding him who is four or five inches shorter than, you know, who they would optimally have guarding Kevin Durant. Um, So it's kind of the same difference. Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, I I don't completely disagree with you in the sense of um, obviously Kevin Durant, like, helped Curry a lot. Um, as far as having that option, he just helped that whole team a lot. And, and basically when they're fully healthy, making them, um, you know, undefeatable. Um, but, um, I would say that like he, um, that I think along with that, like I, I'll concede that um, because it's to me that like that's obvious. It's it's obviously like a huge help like to have Kevin Durant, but like you also have to concede the fact that like that comes with a lot of sacrifice, and it was very um, obvious that Curry was willing to sacrifice the um, essentially the the the. Um, the universal praise. He still got the praise at the Bay Area, but the universal praise that he had gotten for two years by winning MVP twice in a row and being the first unanimous MVP and all that, he was willing to sacrifice that um, in order to have a dude like Kevin Durant. So I think it's a give and take. Um, so, I mean, I, but see, I, think I think absolutely they benefited off of it and Corey benefited off of it, um, but that, you know, he, he obviously had to make some offensive sacrifices um, in order for that to, to um, work. Um, and I think he was willing to do that, and I would give him props in that regard. I think the biggest knock Curry has had coming out of game six was 0 for 8 in late game three uh, situations. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't hold that against him. That last shot was difficult. Um, it was a shot Curry could make probably in his sleep, um, but it was a difficult shot nonetheless. But that play, that specific play, shows you that um, how important it, uh, Golden State itself, just Golden State, how important that team, uh, how much, how valuable, I'm sorry, how valuable having another guy like Clay is to that right. team. Because on a play yeah. like that, Everything Toronto did, like, think about this if you're Toronto. You're only trying to stop Steph Curry. Like, that's it. You're not worried about Iggy. You're not worried about Draymond. You're not worried about Quinn Cook mm-hmm. possibly getting off a three. You're only focused oh, on no. Curry. So that put everything on his shoulders in pressure. that three. Right. Um, so yeah. to me, it's like if Clay was out there, that very well could have been Clay that took that shot and hit it. Um, right. So to me, it, it's one of those things where it's or like, it, I don't really blame him Curry for that. With a better look. So with a better with that look. As well. right. 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 And the biggest the biggest problem that I have with people who use that O and eight stack, because I've seen that thrown around a lot too. Um mm-hmm. 
it's a very small sample size. Um, eight shots is a very, very small sample size. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I get it. It is still zero of eight, so that's a bad look. Um, even one of eight or two of eight would be a bad look. But all of a sudden, three of eight, not not really such a bad look. Um, so, like, to me, it's like you, you, when, when using a stat like that, like, it, it, you're using it to benefit your narrative. Um, and I think if you just look at it from a wider perspective, um, I, I think it's unfair the kind of criticism that, that Curry has been getting um, after, I think, you know, essentially turning everything around and, and basically like winning game five against Houston almost single-handedly in the fourth quarter and then leading them to a game six victory um, and then balling out against Portland. Portland um, and, right. and then, you know, he struggled against Toronto who has a really good fucking defense and he never had Kevin Durant. He only had one shooter next to him for the first two games, which they split. Then he didn't have a shooter with him for the third game. He went off for 47. And then when the fourth game happened, which took place two days after game three, he was on short rest. He was exhausted from playing so much fucking minutes in game three. Um, Clay had a great game. Steph did not. Um, But, like, people hold that against him. And it's like, dude, he just fucking left it all out there in game three. Like, that's a lot of energy to exert. I, I don't. I don't like the Steph criticisms coming out of this finals. I don't like the narrative that, like, Steph is not worthy of being a number one option. I don't, I don't believe that. I think, I think it, you can't compare um, this team without Durant to the team they were in 2016 or 15. It's just not the same. It's, it's like you've got guys who are older uh, with Iguodala and Sean Livingston. Um, you don't have Andrew Bogut. You don't have Harrison Barnes. Um, well, you do have Andrew Bogut, but you, you have a much older Andrew Bogut. It's not as good. Um, so he would fall in with those uh, Sean Livingston and Iguodala. Um, but, like, you just don't have the depth that you had. Um, and, that, and, you know, like, that is, that is what you give up by getting Kevin Durant. And I think – I I would think that we are going to see after this series, potentially, maybe not, but potentially, maybe we're going to see teams start to say, we're going to be very cautious about having a third star. It's got to be a perfect fit like a Clay Thompson. Um, and if it's not that, then, you know, we're going to kind of pivot and look for more um, – depth and role players um, with two stars uh, and, and try to make that work. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, I, my biggest thing with Steph is, um, to me, I, I don't blame him at all for this series because I think what you have to look at at the end of the day was there was no Durant. Like, don't give me the game where he played right. and got re-injured. There was no Durant this series. And they went six games against a team that should have swept them. So, and they were an injury with Clay away from possibly making it to a game seven in a series they should have been swept in. So, no, I'm not criticizing Steph any bit uh, for the loss of this series at, at all, at all. I'm also not making excuses for him 
but I do not put no. the blame at the feet of him. Um, but the one thing, the one thing I always hold against Steph, the same way I hold that Dallas series against LeBron, is Steph in that game seven against Cleveland was bad with the turnovers, yeah. with the missing yeah. three threes in a row, with you not being the able to take Kevin Love off the – Right, yeah. right. With you not being able to take Love off the dribble, off the dribble. Right. Um, there yep. was just that was a bad game for him. Um, in a series yeah. where if he had won that game, he's he has his MVP. He has his Finals MVP. Um, but sure. that was just yeah. a really really bad game. And if I have to look at LeBron and 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 you know hold that Maverick series against them, I do have to hold that that Cleveland series against Steph Curry. Um, even with Draymond being I would, suspended, I would push back no, no, no. a little on that. I'm not blaming the series on, on Steph at all. I'm, I'm not blaming it on him. But I'm saying if we have to look at our star players and go, that's a series you, you not only could have won, somewhat just should have won. Um, I, I look at that. Sure. I look at that. I look the, at that. I, I agree. I, I understand. But I would push back on it for two reasons. One, Dallas only had one star. Um, Cleveland in that series had two I won't, I won't throw Kevin Love in that mix because he played like shit in that series. Um, but they he had did. Kyrie and they had and they had LeBron. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, furthermore, um, the Cavs in that series had the best player on the court um, with the with the Dallas Heat series. Like LeBron should have been the best. He was the best player. Um, on any given team, he didn't play like it, but he was. Um, but like, there was no, there was maybe like some fringe arguments of people trying to say because, I mean, there definitely was. I remember like people trying to say is, is Steph now the best player in the NBA and that whole argument. And we had that that you know whole thing where LeBron dunked on Steph and was just had that look on his face like motherfucker, like you think you you ain't better than me. Um, and so, like, there's that. There were some people. But, like, most people, any smart people, were like, yeah, LeBron's still the best player in the NBA. Um, like, Steph's not better than LeBron. Um, but, like, nobody was saying, like, Dirk Nowitzki was better than LeBron. So there's some, there's some nuanced differences there. But I do agree that, like, there is some small parallel um, of blame in, in, in that sense. Um, in the fact that it's squarely in the fact of um, in that Dallas series, LeBron played like shit to comparatively, you know, speaking to the rest of his career. And in that um, Cleveland series, Steph maybe played two good games, maybe three, but like, I think it was only two. Um, and the other, you know, five games were not particularly good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's some, some, parallels that you can draw there um but nevertheless let's uh let's get into looking forward uh quickly for both of these teams with the raptors obviously it boils down to can you keep Kawhi? um if they can keep Kawhi, uh then they are you know gonna try to roll it back and if they can't keep Kawhi, it doesn't matter because you want a fucking title and now you just rebuild around pascal siakam OG and Anobi, Fred Van Vliet, and you just roll with that, and then you try to turn 
Mark Gasol, Sergi Baca, Kyle Lowry, um, all expiring contracts uh, into future assets. The, the Raptors are in a great fucking spot no matter what, assuming that they can pay Masai Ujiri enough to stay. Um, and I think they will. I think they can. Um, I've heard a, a lot of arguments for Masai going to Washington. One, his wife is from that area, um, so it would be kind of a, a return home for her. Um, and two, he is heavily involved in like um, NBA outreach program uh, to Africa, and potentially being in Washington could give him um, – some sort of ends as far as being in the nation's capital, as far as ways to um, increase that outreach. Um, those are like the two selling points that I've heard, um, plus the money. Um, so maybe he takes that gig in Washington. Um, but ultimately, I think Toronto should be able to keep him um, if they offer him the amount of money that you know he warrants. Now, maybe if um, – you know, maybe both parties wait until Kawhi either stays or leaves, and that influences their decision one way or another. Um, but you know, I think I think they'll be okay. I think they'll keep him. Um, you know, if they really want to keep him, I think they will. Um, but regardless, uh, all of this hinges on Kawhi. But they set themselves up so great as far as having expiring. Uh, solid veteran pieces that are expiring so that they can flip for future assets if Kawhi leaves um, or bring everything back if he stays and make little moves around the edges if they feel – if they deem necessary to improve um, their overall roster. Um, but, yeah, I mean I, I like where Toronto is no matter which direction they go, and that is – Probably the best case of one foot in, one foot out that I can recall um, ever in the history of the NBA um, as far as having a championship caliber team compiled together, but also having the flexibility um, to be able to rebuild uh, at the drop of a hat if need be. Um, very, very uh, great moves by Masai. Um, I regret a little bit that I, I picked John Horse to be my um, GM of the year. Um, not that John Horse didn't do uh, an amazing job uh, in Milwaukee um, building that team, um, but you know ultimately with them winning it all and the flexibility that the Raptors have going forward, um, I kind of think at this point that Masai does deserve to be GM of the year. Um, with hindsight being what it is after the playoffs. Um, but nevertheless, I I like their future no matter which direction that they have to go, and obviously that hinges on whether Kawhi stays or leaves. But either way, I think they're um, in good shape uh, going forward. What are your thoughts on the future of Toronto? Uh, I, I share the same sentiment. Uh, they have themselves in a great situation. I do believe Jerry might leave. Um, whether that's Washington, TBD, but Washington's pretty much offering him the world plus allowing him to be their yeah. mayor. Um, so, I mean, it's really hard to pass <laughs> yeah. up on that. Uh, oh, and I, I heard rumors of, like, ownership stake um, that yeah. they may even offer him. Yeah. I mean, because, look, think about it like this. 
if you didn't have Wall on such a atrocious contract, um, Washington isn't in a bad position. I, I think that contract right. is their biggest their biggest flaw. Um, it's just an organization right. that's poorly run. So you now bringing right. in someone who could run the organization properly. If Wall's contract was movable, if I'm New Jerry, I'm coming there and I'm like, do I want to keep Wall and Beal and just build around them, or do I want to get rid of both no. of them or just keep Beal? Uh, no, well, you, you want to get rid like, of. You could go there and you want to get rid of better both options. Of them. I don't think you're. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna be able to get rid of John Wall, but you only got him for four years. So if you move, Beal no, 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 for, you know. No, I was saying that if Wall's contract was movable, he could go there and then have a plethora of options. Um, but it's not. Just like, so I, I don't know why you're bringing right. it up. <laughs> well, I'm saying well, that that's my that, point. Good. That's my point. Is if he goes there, they know the Wall contract is immovable, at least as of now. So you essentially Wall's going to be out for the entirety of next season they're going to get the insurance money um you know uh so it's going to alleviate a lot of their um costs um and i think i would trust masai ujiri to be able to flip bradley beal um for the best possible deal that you could um it's a shame that the lakers are not on the table anymore because of their desperation to get a star that they now have in anthony david um but um but there's still a lot of teams out there who would be very interested in acquiring Bradley Beal. Um, and essentially, you know, I think what you do at that point is you flip Beal for the best assets you can get. You get draft picks, you get everything else. Um, and you just have, you just operate with a much smaller salary cap than you would otherwise. Um, and you work with that and you roll with it. Um, and you give him, you know, seven years to put together like a, a, a good team, the four years for um, Wall to come off the books, and then plus three, um, you know, to see how all of the players that he selects pan out um, and the various moves that he can make after the Wall contract comes off the books. Um, but, yeah, I would be um, – I, I mean, that would obviously be a great move for Washington. Yeah, no, the, the point I was trying to make is the reason I brought it up was because I was saying the Washington gig is not a bad gig. The only bad thing about it is that wall contract. So if you're you're right. Jerry and you're thinking to yourself, I mean, it's not that bad. Maybe he comes back uh, not next year but the year after, and he looks good enough, uh, and there's a team desperate enough to take that remaining right. that remaining three years, um, you know, yeah. because he looks so For good. Expiring so it is, yeah. Right, so it is movable in that sense. So it's not completely sure. out of the realm of possibility. It's just the idea of do in you want to leave a yeah. situation? Right, do you want to leave a situation where they just won a championship where you can either, if Kawhi leaves, rebuild, or if Kawhi stays, continue your run? Um, that's just the biggest decision to make. But to me, I, like you right. said, if I was him, I'd wait to see what Kawhi does because if he leaves, I then have to say, do I want to rebuild here where we don't have the best luck of bringing in free agents, like top free agents, so I'd have to build from the ground right. up. Not necessarily the ground up, because you have uh, three really good players um, that you can kind sure. of really play with, um, but essentially the ground up, or do I want to build from the ground up in Washington? So, I mean, it, it, you have to think yeah. of it like that. Absolutely. And he can use the leverage of the Washington offer to get more money in Toronto. So, 
you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of possibilities there. But um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, uh, Toronto should be able to be in a good position, regardless of Kawhi's decision, regardless of Masai's decision. Um, they should be in position to be able to bring in um, another um, promising GM. Um, I would I would opt for you know somebody who um, maybe is um, has the right mind and acumen for it, but doesn't have the resume. So, you, you know, you can get somebody who's young and cheap um, and just try to pick the best possible candidate. Um, because, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'd rather do that than, than hire somebody who's failed, you know, in the past, just personally. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think there are enough smart people in the world that, um, and, and in the basketball world, that you could find somebody who would do the job um, very well, um, and, and you could have the next Masai Ujiri. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I, I like, um, and I think we're both on the same page here, we like the, uh, the Raptors' future, no matter which direction they have to go in. Um, and if they lose Kawhi this offseason, so be it. They won a championship. It's all worth it. Um, yep. I mean, that's your goal. So. You know, if you've achieved your goal, um, and if he leaves, A, no hard feelings, and B, all right, cool. We're just building around Siakam, Ananobi, um, and Van Vliet. And, you know, then, you know, we'll move all the other necessary pieces around to um, try to, you know, essentially rebuild and retool around those guys and be try to be a contender, you know, three, four, five years from now. Um, and it's certainly a possibility, especially if you keep Masai um, because of his innate ability to um, find talent. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam, number 27 in the draft. OG Ananobi, number 23. Fred Van Vliet, undrafted. Um, and those are the three guys you're building around. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I totally think that um, they're in a good spot going forward. The Warriors, on the other hand, tough. Tough, 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 tough. Um, report came out shortly after the, you know, they played, uh, finished off that series, um, that they would offer both Clay and Kevin Durant five-year max deals. Even if they offer just, even if Clay, uh, uh, KD walks and they keep Clay, they still have no flexibility going forward. Um, they're not going to be good next year. Um, Clay's going to miss the majority of next season. I would expect KD misses the entirety of next season. Um, and honestly, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. There's just too many good teams in the West for a team with Steph, Draymond, um, you know, Iguodala, and I mean, maybe they bring back Looney, but I mean, he, I think he's raised his profile in these in these playoffs, um, especially the grit that he showed in the finals. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of suitors for him that might make him um might make his cost something that they don't want to pay. Um, you know, they're gonna have to get real creative on the fringes in order to um uh you know maintain a viable playoff team. I'm not sure what those moves are. Um, 
but it's it's going to be really tricky, especially if Kevin Durant opts to stay, um, because that that makes your 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 uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't further inhibit your ability to make moves, but it it, it further increases your luxury tax payment, um, and so that all of the moves that you would make, you have to even more so monitor, um, you know what what salaries you're taking in versus what you're sending out. Um, I am very skeptical on their future, their short-term future, i.e. the next season. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year. I just, I don't see a viable path for them to do so um, without, you know, essentially hemorrhaging their future um, in order to do so. And that doesn't seem like the kind of move Golden State would make think your best case scenario is just punt next season, try to get a good draft pick and, you know, see what you can create um, in 2020 and go from there. I just, I don't see a viable path for them next season to be a contender. Uh, real, uh, well, a playoff team, much less a contender. There's too many good teams in the West. Nobody is nobody out west is tanking. Um, the only team that might tank next season um, at the start of the season, I don't even think they would, would be Memphis um, because they have a protected pick with um, with uh, Boston, and if they end up with the worst record, that assures that they're going to keep their pick no matter how far they slip in uh, in the lottery. So. You know, maybe that's a team that would tank, but I don't think there's any other teams. I mean, Phoenix doesn't want to tank again. Um, obviously, like Sacramento is going to try. New Orleans has their young core that they're going to try to work with. Um, Minnesota is is going to go out there and try to compete. They don't they don't want to tank. Um, so I, I just I think even those bottom dwelling teams are going to be trying to win. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't I don't see a path for them. Do you? Would you at this current state with KD being out for the season, whether they resign him or not, um, Clay uh, seemingly going to come back, um, but be out for the majority of next season, um, and such little maneuverability um, via the cap? Do you see them making the playoffs next year? Yes. Um, they're one of the teams okay. that, um, <clears throat> till they don't, I mean, same, th- same thing I told you with LeBron last year. Spurs. Till he's not. Um, that or is- Spurs, yeah. Or the Spurs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was my right, big right, thing right. with them. Until they don't make the playoffs, I ain't betting against them. <laughs> like, I'm not betting against them. I mean, to me, I, I get everything you're saying. And, yes, that roster is going to be very shaky. But, yeah. as everyone has said for the past, what? four or five years, if Steph Curry is the MVP kind of superstar uh, guy that we know him to be, let's remember, LeBron dragged that Lakers team to almost making the eighth seed. Like, that that of itself was impressive. Um, The Clippers, not a star on that roster. Go ahead. I would would just go back to, even, even aside from that Lakers team, I would go back to the Cavs, like, well, last season. Like, he dragged that team to the finals. 
that's probably the most, the second most impressive thing LeBron's ever done. Um, well, third, um, second um, being him dragging that 2017 to the finals, and then the most impressive is completing the 3-1 comeback against uh, the Warriors. But, um, but yeah, I but I agree. Go ahead. Um, yes, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could put something out there that's competitive. Will they be championship caliber? I'll say this again. If Durant no. stays, if Durant stays and Clay stays, now whether Durant stays for a year or max, whatever, if both of them are on that roster, I could see Clay back in February. I could see Durant back by playoffs. Um, and then that completely changes the dynamic of that team. Yeah, um, it does. I mean, it, I, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying I saw Clay Thompson tell people, like, I'm going to go back out there and play. They said he told Kerr, I'll see you in, like, two minutes. And it was like, Clay, yeah, you can't go back out. Crazy. Like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you, man? You can't go back out there and play. Yeah, to so get context no here. Way he would, yeah, so, let me get. let me just lay some context here. So he – Injure, he he tore his his ACL his, his his left ACL was you know limped limping back in the locker room and one of the assistants ran back in the locker room and was like hey if you don't shoot these free throw shots like you can't come back in hobbled back out on the court shot the fucking free throw shots made both of them and then uh, they call it uh, they fouled to get him out of uh, the game. He hobbled back off the court and said to uh, Steve Kerr, give me two minutes. I'll be back. When he had a torn ACL. <laughs> like, right. Dude, Clay Thompson is the best. He's just – he is, again, just my favorite player in the NBA. I fucking love that guy. So that's why I find it very hard to believe that Clay won't do everything possible to come back next year, um, especially sure. if this team is – like, if this team is struggling for that eighth seed, because um, around January, February is when everyone starts to – everyone that's not top, what, three or four um, are trying their best to make that push. That's when it's like, all right, trade deadline right. is coming They're trying on. to make the decision. Yeah. Right, right. So, to me – Whether the they're Warriors buyers, sellers, are, et cetera. Right. So, if the Warriors are, what, flirting around with possibly being a seventh or eighth seed – um, which again right. could be very generous on my part. I could see Clay coming back in February, helping this team make a push, then making the eighth or seventh seed, and then you get Durant back—a fully healthy Durant, a fully healthy Clay, Steph. You know, knock on wood, and Draymond are still fully healthy. I still like those four guys uh, right now because again, we have to see how the rest of the the NBA pans out. But I like those four guys right. heading into the playoffs more than any anything else right now any other current roster right now. Um, yeah. So, to me, they do have a chance. And, again, until they don't, I am holding out that possibility that that seventh or eighth seed, Steph Curry and Draymond, can, can keep them close enough to it that when Clay gets back, if sure. he comes back next year, can kind of lead them into the, uh, the playoffs. Sure. And, you know what, I think, you know, we've speculated a lot from – Katie's injury on what he should or shouldn't do, who he should sign with, all that. Um, I don't put it past him to opt out and sign another one-on-one with the Warriors so that he can rehab with him um, and, and get healthy and to give him the opportunity to come back and to make an impact in the playoffs 
um, and to be able to play some valuable minutes and valuable basketball um, and essentially at that point in time decide what he wants to do with his future. Um, you know, maybe yeah. it doesn't work out with AD and LA and maybe he can convince LA at that point to go, uh, or excuse me, AD at that point to go team up with him in New York. Um, maybe uh-huh. somebody else takes a one and one this year. Um, and he can convince, you know, whoever that is to go team up with him in New York, if he still wants to do that. Um, but like maybe that's the best option for him at this point. Um, I, I, like, I don't expect him to take the player option, um, but I don't think that if he went to Golden State and said, I want another one-and-one, I don't think they could tell him no. Like, you just I, – I don't think you could – I don't think you could live through the fucking shitstorm of what that would mean. For, like, okay, perfect example, um, you know, Boston, quote-unquote, made the right basketball decision. By moving Isaiah Thomas in favor of Kyrie Irving, but like, what has that done mm-hmm. to their reputation? That has completely killed their reputation with players. So much so that Anthony Davis, his father, came out and spoke about it and said, "I don't want to see him there." Um, Rich Paul came out and said, "Look, I mean, they could trade for him, but we ain't resigning. So if if they, you know, lose him after one year, don't blame me." Um, and referred to himself in the third person, which was totally lame. But never, nevertheless, um, he like th- that hurt their reputation. So I don't think if KD came to them and said that's what he wanted, I don't think they would be in the position to say no at that point in time. Um, so like maybe that's what happened, um, and maybe they try to make um, stay in in the playoff chase. <laughs> well, um, with fringe moves, and then and they get Clay back in February, really make that push for the playoffs, and then get Katie back for the playoffs. It's it's entirely possible. Um, I don't think it's likely, but it's it's not improbable. See, I I think if you're Golden State, I I don't. If Kevin Durant comes to you and goes, "Hey, I just want to sign a a one year deal," the biggest issue that team had with him this year was that they didn't feel as though he was all in. His mind was in New York or, or, or Clippers or wherever else he was going to play it? when the season was over. No, 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 no. I'm See, saying that was what the speculation was. I I can't speak right. definitively. I'm saying that's what the right. speculation was. And, so if I'm Golden State, and, I'm not putting the players through that again. Uh, I don't think you have a choice, man. I think if that's what I he think, wants, I think you have to oblige him. I think if he comes to me and says, hey, I'm willing to sign here long-term, retire here, even with him being out a year, yes, of course I say yes. But if you're telling yeah, me a one-year so deal. Out, they're, gonna, they're, they're fine with offering the five-year max, both he and Right, Clay. but if he comes so, like, to me and says a one-year deal, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying yes to that definitively, mainly because I'm like, you are you – are, like, think about it like this, Nick. If me and you are thinking – Sign a one-year deal, get healthy, show other teams out there like you're 100% good around the playoffs. Um, teams will still offer you that deal next year when you enter free agency, right? If we're thinking that, sure. Golden State has to know if he signs a one-year deal, there's nothing else we can do to get him to stay. Nothing. Like, right. he, he knows but staying here is the finals. 
I just don't think you have a choice. I think if that's what he wants, you have to give it to him. You can't not give it to him. Like I can't. He just I can't fucking, sign a one-year deal put, on a player I can't trade. But you can't trade him. How? But, I mean, you, you could. No Again, I, I don't think it would be in your. I well, I don't think it would be in your benefit, but like. I, again, it, 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 regardless of that, I don't think you have a choice. I just don't. I don't. You, think you definitely did. That, I, well, if, if you opt not to give him that, you're going to look really shitty to the rest of the NBA, and and, and players going to be see. like, "Yeah, I ain't trying to fucking go play for a franchise that would throw a guy out there um, when he ain't fully healthy and and have him tear his Achilles and then not even give him the deal that he wants the following year." Like fuck. Yeah, that. but it's it's different because it's not like Durant, you know, sacrificed everything, got injured, and then Golden State was like, Nah, we don't we don't want you. They're saying they'll give him the max five years, but I'm not sure. allowing you to, to use us and then walk. Then we look like an idiot. Sure, we have our reputation intact, but now we look like idiots because we just allowed you to get yourself healthy just to leave. As a business decision, okay. yeah, I, I'm I mean, not I, doing that. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. I still think, I still think, uh, from a um, perception decision, I think you have to. Um, but and I hey, feel you. I but mean, remember, perception is what got Durant re-injured, right? Essentially, essentially. So to me, as a business, because I would you argue the that training cross, staff is what got him re-injured, the medical staff, but sure. Fair enough, but essentially, we said the best business decision is to never dribble a ball that series, right? That's what me and you were, were of the, the ilk of. You knowing that you weren't 100%, or you possibly knowing or, or theorizing the idea of re-injuring, don't dribble another ball. Don't do it. So if I'm Golden State, I'm purely thinking as a business. Because remember, even with the Boston example that you made, no one on the planet uh, thought that Kyrie going there wasn't gonna uh, wasn't gonna work out. We thought, yeah, that team could definitely now be um, a threat in the East. And if it wasn't for seemingly Kyrie's ego, that team should have been a bigger threat in the East. So it worked. It worked. It did, and sure, did their uh, reputation take but a bit of a hit? Possibly. No, no, but I'm saying, did their reputation possibly take a hit? Sure, but at the end of the day, players love what? Money. So if Celtics can offer you a crazy Gordon Hayward-type deal, you're going to go to Boston. So, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, as a business, don't so sacrifice don't yourself for now. Well, no, I'm just saying, theoretically, teams want money. I mean, players sure. want money. Sure. So if you could offer sure. them money, they'll go. So if you're Golden State, don't sacrifice your future for the right now. So you signed Durant for that one year and he leaves. What do you do? I mean, I think you're in the same position you were in. Um, and and let's not have... forget, he could just he could just opt in. Um, it costs you less money, but I mean, he could do that. Um, I I think it's a moot point anyway. I think he's going to sign a four year deal with the Knicks still. Because they're still going to offer it to him, he, he he that's where he wants to be, I think. Um, but again, I just I think if that's what he wants, I think you have to give it to him. Um, just in my opinion, I understand what you're saying as far as the 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 why you wouldn't. Um, I just I think it would be in 
such bad taste, especially considering what just happened. Um, and, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. We have to see how it plays out before we can really comment on, um, you know, essentially um, any of this. So um, we'll see. Uh, but we got to move on. We got, we got uh, about 50 minutes to discuss um, this Anthony Davis deal. Um, and what this means for the NBA going forward for these two teams uh, and the rest of the league at hand. So Anthony Davis was traded from the Pelicans to the Lakers in exchange for Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, the number four pick in this upcoming draft, a top eight protected in 2021 um, that, if not conveyed, will become unprotected in 2022. Um, Swap rights to the 2023 first-rounder from the Lakers, an unprotected 2024 first-rounder, and swap rights to the Lakers' 2025 first-rounder. Initial thoughts on this deal um, for both sides. We'll start with – let's start with the Lakers. Yeah, let's start with the Lakers. Um, Your thoughts on the Lakers portion of this deal, Juwan. Uh, well, if you're the Lakers, you definitely – I know we don't like to say win or loss, but you definitely won this trade. You kept Kuzma, who was the best out of the, the guys that you traded, and you gained Anthony Davis. So, essentially, if Anthony Davis resigns there, you now have for the next five to ten years Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, um, and then you could better surround the two of those guys. So, right now, you got LeBron, Kuzma, Anthony Davis. You came out pretty well. Um, and a team like the Lakers, who aren't – that's sold on picks. Uh, they're more sold on bringing in all-star caliber uh, players in free agency or in trades. Um, I, I don't think they're hurting. Uh, I, I'm really amazed that they were able to keep Kuzma. Um, this is the second time we've seen a trade like this. The fact that Cleveland didn't force uh, Boston to give him Tatum or Brown is still beyond me. Um, but um, you look at it and you go, yeah, you were able to um, essentially not give up the guy you wanted to keep. You gave up pieces you didn't really care that much for, um, and you gained Anthony Davis. Uh, this team puts itself in a great position to make a pitch to Jimmy, make a pitch to Kyrie, Kimba, uh, pick of the litter, really. Um, so you put yourself in a really good situation. And I will say, Nick, it made me really stick to my stomach to see LeBron post on Instagram. Um, gloating about getting Anthony Davis. Like, it, it made me really sick. Uh, part of me really hates that he now has Anthony Davis only because of <laughs> how I feel as though he got Anthony Davis. I don't like it, um, but nothing I can do. Yeah, I, 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 I think they had to get Anthony Davis. So in that sense, it's a win for them. They got Anthony Davis. They got the guy they wanted. But they outbid uh-huh. themselves. Who else was going to even yeah. come close to giving that kind of offer? Um, we no we immediately got the report. Yeah, we immediately got the report afterwards that um, the deal broke down between them and the Celtics because they would not include Tatum. Now, um, you know, I posed to you um, last uh, last episode that Boston wasn't actually seriously in contention, that they were trying to drive up the offer from the Lakers um, so that they would give up more than they would have had to otherwise. I still feel that that was the case. Um, 
and you know maybe uh, you know and, and the fact that it came out shortly thereafter after the trade that they weren't willing to give up Tatum I I don't feel like the Lakers knew that at the time um, I, I I feel like there was to them at the time they made the trade there was the threat that the the Celtics could still give up Tatum and if they weren't able to get Anthony Davis um, and essentially had to pivot um, and make the decision on whether, okay, well, we could roll it back, sign a bunch of one-year deals and try to sign Anthony Davis in the offseason, or we could, you know, try to trade for a guy like Bradley Beal. Um, and, but, like, nevertheless, like you're, you're not, like, you're not getting what you want. Um, and if you trade for Bradley Beal, then you're you're limiting your cap space going forward so that you can't get Anthony Davis. You can't give him that max contract the following year. Um, plus, you've got the ticking timeline of, of LeBron James. So I get all that. But the, the, the pragmatic approach to this would be Kyrie is not re-signing with Boston. They're not going to give up Tatum. Anybody who could read the tea leaves would read that. Um, New York is not going to give up a slew of assets now that they know that Kevin Durant is out for next season. Um, so we're in the driver's seat, and you can easily look at any sort of dark horse um, and how those deals end up uh, coming to fruition, whether that be the dark horse of OKC getting Paul George. Um, look at what they gave up. Um, they gave up Victor Oladipo before he was Victor Oladipo, um, DeMontis Sabonis, um, and I think uh, a second-round pick, uh, a, a, a high-quality second-round pick. I think it was via Chicago. Um, so that that was what it took for you know that kind of deal. Um, for you know a Kawhi Leonard deal, it took DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and a first-round pick, um, a top-20 protected first-round pick at that. Um, so if you're looking at it from that lens, you just gave up three young players. Um, and then on top of that, uh, three good young players, mind you, um, on top of that, you gave up the number four overall pick granted in a three man draft, but there are a lot of good players available between four and like 45. Um, so, there, I mean, this this draft, it flatlines after three, you know, from, from what most experts say, um, but there's still so much talent um, to be had uh, in this draft. It's deeper than, than a lot of people think. Um, but you gave up that number four pick. You gave up um, two, essentially two unprotected first rounders and two unprotected swap rights after LeBron is going to not be on your books anymore, conceivably he'll be retired at that point. So you're basically laying the foundation. You're laying odds that Anthony Davis resigns and that when LeBron retires, um, you are going to be able to immediately replace him with another star free agent in order to just kind of keep this gravy train rolling. Um, that is a lot of ifs for the Lakers, um, and not to mention the ifs of 
LeBron staying healthy, AD staying healthy. What are you going to put around these guys? Um, that's, that's scary. I would be terrified if I'm a Lakers fan. I would be excited about next season. I'd be terrified for two, three, four, five seasons from now um, just because of everything that you gave up. And like I said, you outbidded yourself. Nobody else was going to even come close to the magnitude of this offer. Um, I'm happy for them that they got Anthony Davis. I just think that they paid a price that was unnecessary um, had they just been a little more patient um, and stuck to their guns a little bit. I understand that they didn't want to lose out to, you know, lose him uh, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, another franchise. Um, that makes total sense. But at the same time, I just don't feel you had to give up that much. Two future first, two future swaps, plus Ingram Hart, uh, Lonzo, and the number four pick. That is a shit ton to give up for one guy, no matter how good Anthony Davis is, um, especially considering LeBron is going to be, what, 35 going into next season. Um, that is scary. You're going to be really good next season if your guys stay healthy. You might even win a championship depending on the pieces that they put around them. And if you do that, ultimately I guess it's worth it. But um, there's no guarantees in that manner. And I just think looking at this objectively, you, you, just, you, could have, you didn't have to give up that much. Uh, I, I compare this very much to, to like a, 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 an nth degree to the Tobias Harris trade for the Sixers. When I looked at that trade, I was like, when I first heard about it, I was like, wow, they got Tobias Harris. Like, they're going to be really fucking good. That's like perfect fit for them. Um, then I saw everything that they had to give up to get him, and it was just like, damn, I don't think you had to give up that much to get him. Like, the, the fucking the Clippers didn't seem so gung-ho about keeping him. They offered them, him the extension, and he turned it down, and, um, I, you know, they want to go get Kawhi, which means they couldn't resign him anyway, and you know, I, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't think that was. I think he gave up a, a, a way too much, and I feel the same way now. And we'll just have to see how this ends up playing out. Um, but I don't know. I, I looking at this, you know, on a whole, I think the Lakers just gave up way, way, way too much. See, I don't. I think them as a franchise that likes home runs. Um. They value – I mean, just think about it. I, honestly, they haven't had the best track record of drafting. Um, you, you oh, had, you oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, they have. How? They, they, what do you mean how? They, they, they drafted besides Kyle Kuzma, Kuzma number and 27 Kobe. overall. No, besides Kuzma Kobe? and Kobe, what other okay. great draft picks have even they go had? back. Let's not even go back that far to Kobe. Um, let's just look at like the the past three years, um, okay, or, or maybe like four or whatever. Um, they drafted mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell, number two overall. They ended up trading him, but he's an All Star this year. He's probably going to get close to a max deal this off season. That ended up being a good draft pick. Julius Randle was a number seven pick. Um, he ended up. 
being pretty fucking good. He had a great season uh, with mm-hmm. uh, New Orleans. Um, he's going to fetch, uh, you know, a nice little chunk of salary this off season, maybe with the Suns. Um, right. You have Kyle Kuzma at number twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. That was a fucking home run pick. You had Avicii Zubat at number thirty-two overall, um, and particularly in that draft. That ended up being a damn good pick. Lonzo Ball at number two. Now, while that, um, you know, while they could have had Jason Tatum with that pick, um, it's not like anywhere close to the level of, say, you know, the Sixers blunder in that draft. Lonzo Ball still projects to be a really good pick, and he ended up being a vital piece in getting them Anthony Davis. Um, Josh Hart at number 28, I believe, ended up being a very good pick and another quintessential part to this draft. Brandon Ingram at number two um, mm-hmm. seemed, seems like a good pick. Um, I, I think Mo Wagner at 25 was suspect last season. Um, I, I wouldn't have gone that direction, uh, and there were some reports that um, a lot of the scouts – uh, preferred Omari Spellman, who ended up going to the Hawks um, at that pick. Um, I don't think there's that much difference between those two guys, uh, but I do think Omari Spellman projects to have a more successful NBA career long term. Um, but no, they're, I mean, they generally speaking have a really good scouting department um, and have the ability uh, to, to make good draft picks. I don't, I don't look at so, them as, as a team that doesn't have that ability. So to my original point, everyone you've named that's not Kuzma is no longer there. No longer there. They value sure, home runs more than they do draft picks. They draft them, and then all they are is assets. That's all they are. So to me, if I'm the Lakers, if I value um, home runs, me having Anthony Davis and Kuzma going forward isn't bad. I then could just that surround them with my more argument, talent. You're saying if that you're a Lakers change... fan, you should be you should be worried, and I'm saying your yeah. future could have looked a lot worse. I'm not saying it couldn't. I'm just saying I, you're treating this like this was a necessary casualty for Anthony Davis, and what I'm saying is I don't think you had to give up that much in order to get him. Like, there weren't going to be any offers even close to what the Lakers gave up. Yeah, and I get that, but you had to give that up. You had to give that you up because they were saying – did not. They were saying, they were saying cool, keep, the, you know, keep some of those draft picks, but we then want Kuzma. You weren't willing to give them Kuzma. So well, you had but to you didn't have to give up else. either. Like, if, if Boston so then if you don't – if you don't, they said the package New York sent uh, the offer New York sent them. So if you don't, and then they decide to send yeah, them to New York. Yeah, but New York, York rescinded that after KD got like New York. It, the report came out that New York wasn't as interested in in dealing, uh, you know, the number three and other assets, uh, you know, after the KD injury. So you know that seemed like it seemed like if like again if you can read the tea leaves, it seemed like the New York deal wasn't on the table. Anymore, it seemed like the Boston offer wasn't going to include Tatum. So yeah, why would you think you would have to give up if, three of your young core plus three draft picks plus two swap rights? 
this like this is great, dude. This is straight if out of Brooklyn. This this is going to be a Brooklyn Celtics deal. I fucking guarantee it. No, don't, no, don't, no, no, dude, no, only, no. Hey, no. listen. The only the only saving grace that the Lakers might have is that that they actually have the opportunity to win a championship, um, where Brooklyn did not achieve that. Um, but it, I mean, if you look at it going forward, again, unless they are able to bring in a clutch free agent, and by clutch I mean the generic sense, not the you know LeBron James agency sense. Um, after LeBron, after his contract is up, then they're fucked because almost all of those picks happen after LeBron James leaves. And David Griffin was super smart to like fucking make sure that it was set up that way to get those swap rights. Um, and if you look at the trajectory now that that New Orleans is on um, with being able to, to get Zion and have all these young pieces and have Drew Holiday as like that veteran to have around them to like, you know, um, kind of work with them over the next few years. Their only their trajectory is only up. So like, if you're talking about a team that, you know, you know, if you're making this deal with like the Suns, maybe I feel more comfortable about it. But like, if you're making this deal with the Pelicans who have David Griffin now being their GM. You have a complete restructure of how they're going to run this franchise um, with David Griffin in charge. Um, you have Zion. You have um, you know all of these young pieces that you could either keep or flip or whatever. Um, you have all of these future draft assets. Their trajectory is just going to go up. And once LeBron, you know, hits the the thirty something wall that every player hits or retires. Um, your 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 trajectory for LA is just going down unless you can bring in another marquee free agent to pair up with Anthony Davis, and you know maybe you can, but that's a huge maybe. Um, and and I, I I will give the Lakers I will give the Lakers this amount of credit. Um, the way that they structured this deal that is beneficial for them um, is the the first pick that goes out is in 2021. It is top eight protected. That will be the last year that LeBron James is on their books. So conceivably, they'll still be good at that point, hopefully. Um, And LeBron James uh, will come off the books the following season, um, and they don't have to give a pick to, um, to New Orleans that following season. So that gives them a one year window when they can reset the deck um, before the following season, they then again have to give a pick to New Orleans. So it gives them essentially two off seasons um, in order to get a star to pair up with Anthony Davis, assuming that 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 pick doesn't end up in the top eight, which I I would assume it wouldn't. Um, but um, if it does, then they're totally fucked. Um, but um, if it doesn't. Uh, then they do have those two off seasons in order to bring in another guy. So like that is that is I I, I will give Polinka some amount of credit, and I I think that was his train of thought. Like 
if we have LeBron this long, we're confident we can keep AD for the rest of his career. And this will give us a midpoint of two off seasons to bring in another guy who we can pair with Anthony Davis um, post LeBron in order to continue on this, um, this gravy train or whatever and have intermittent draft picks in between, um, have fringe signings that we sign in between, um, and continue on. Uh, and so those, those swap rights won't be that valuable. Those unprotected, unprotected picks won't be that valuable. But again, you're, you're betting on yourself so much there. Um, and again, I just don't think you had to include all of that in order to get this deal done. Maybe you had to do it in order to get it done now, but like I feel like even if you had waited, you would have been able to get a, a deal done where you didn't have to give up as much because it wasn't going to be anybody out there that would give up even close to that. I, I still disagree. I still disagree in that. I think um, it, it's not even a gamble. It's not a risk. You know AD wants to be there. So that, that, again, it could change, but seemingly wants to be there. So if he signs long-term, you still ended up better than, like, 80% of trade. You have one of the top five best players on your team. Sure. Seemingly. You also have a 35-year-old LeBron who finally showed uh, signs of aging. Like. Um, Which is fine. Which is fine. The idea of AD and the idea that AD, I think, is only, what, 26, 27, if that? You pairing him with uh, Kuzma. 25, I think. Even better. You're pairing him with Kuzma for the, the what, foreseeable future. Maybe even decades. Yeah. So it's like, I I don't see, and you're the Lakers, so it's like, all right, LeBron's money comes off the book. You then can go seek out other. One thing we know guys wanted to play with Anthony Davis. Now, if that changes because they decide to sign somewhere else, likely, possibly, yeah, sure. But if you're the Lakers, you're thinking we are the Lakers. People want to play here. And now we have a player people want to come play with. So I think you are in a good situation. One, because, again, I don't think draft picks matter to them, but anything but assets. They're just assets to them. They're assets to lure you a big fish like you just got. So to me, that is huge. This isn't necessarily a New York situation um, because it's, it, it's not like – like Amari Stoudemire on his best day isn't LeBron on his worst day. So you're seemingly better in that situation. You're coming there to play with a LeBron, even if age affects him next season, and he's what, 45% of what LeBron is. That's still better than what 100% of a lot of guys are. So you're hoping the the mixture oh, sure. of Le, LeBron, Kuzma, AD, and then if you can get another guy, which I think they will, um, you're just in a really good situation, a really good situation. Okay. So to me, okay. I do think the Pelicans have so much for them going forward, which is great. A city that looks like it was just a cesspool for the, the sport of basketball um, has now now has such a bright future going forward which is great. That's what we want. We want smaller markets to get um, in positions like the Pelicans are in. Great. But you gave up Anthony Davis with the the hope of Zion being what Anthony Davis is. And, you know, that to me could be possibly uh, a 50-50 shot. Um, So to me, if you're the Lakers, you got who you wanted. It took a lot to get him, sure. 
but you got them. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Your biggest thing is you got to make sure you keep them. Because if he leaves, then everything you're saying, Nick, is 100% accurate. But if he stays, yeah. that's what you wanted. So you got it. Yeah, but you kind of – again, there's, there's more steps than just that. And I outlined them earlier. We don't need to rehash them. Um, again, I just think they gave up more than they needed to is all I'm saying. Um, but it, we got to move on. We got to talk about the Pelicans. You alluded to it. Um, and what the haul they were able to get for Anthony Davis. I think this is a huge win for the Pelicans. I think they have so much flexibility going forward. It obviously helps they have Zion Williamson coming in. Um, obviously, that's going to be the guy that you are building around your next franchise star. Um, and now you got a lot of pieces to work with, whether you keep them, trade them for you know, additional draft picks, Etc. Um, they have a lot of flexibility now, and David Griffin is going. I I would assume is going to be like just taking every single fucking phone call um, from every different franchise. Um, essentially, being like, all right, like, what do you want from us? Um, what what are you willing to put on the table for us? Um, and that's a very very advantageous situation, especially with a guy like David Griffin, who is a very competent GM. Um, I wouldn't put him in the league um, of the top GMs, but he is definitely um, – I think he's definitely – he's got the experience and the wherewithal um, to be considered um, you know, middle of the pack at the least. And with these kind of assets, um, that's all you really need. Um, and the fact that they're letting him operate and make his own decisions, it's great. Uh, it's absolutely 100% great for them. Um, I think they are in a fucking terrific position um, in order to build around Zion and whatever pieces they want to keep, move on from the pieces they don't want to keep, um, and just set this team up for years and years and years of future success. Um, So essentially, where I'm at right now, I would Definitely be looking at at shopping Lonzo for that number six pick, uh, given that you got four and now and you could get six, so you could get Darius Garland, who projects to be a Damian Lillard, Kimball Walker type um, of player as far as um, his style of point guard play, um, and then you know you could take a wing player. Whether whoever you wanted at four, because five, um, the you know the the Cavs are not going to take Garland because they already have Sexton. Um, so I mean, you could pretty much take whoever you wanted, whether it's Culver, um, whether it's DeAndre Hunter, whether it's Cam Reddish, whoever you think is the best wing prospect there. Um, and you know, you still have the luxury of being able to flip Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart whoever you want to, to get another talent. The one move out there that I would absolutely fucking love for them to make is to really strongly inquire about Miles Turner Um, because Miles Turner has shown the ability to be able to stretch the floor and to protect the paint, and that is exactly the kind of thing that you want next to Zion, um, a stretch five. 
So if you can, even if you have to slightly overpay via a trade for him, like I would personally give up um, Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram um, for Miles Turner, the number 18 pick, um, Doug McDermott to make the salary work and throw in the guy like TJ Leaf or Aaron Holiday, um, like just just to like give you like an extra asset to be happy about. Um, that would be my main move right now is seeing if I could get a stretch, a young stretch five who plays defense like a Miles Turner. Um, Cause I just, I think that would be the kind of building block that you would want next to Zion to really, uh, you know, accentuate his um, abilities going forward. Now we'll see. Um, I, I, again, I think the Pacers are in a very luxurious position because they have DeMontis Sabonis, who could easily just be their starting center. Um, and if they could get a guy like Drew Holiday, you know, and, and potentially even a guy like Brandon Ingram to pair with Oladipo and Sabonis, and then they're only looking at having to bring back one of um, Bojan Bogdanovic or Thaddeus Young, probably Bogdanovic, and just slide him to the four. Um, which I don't think would be that big of a deal. Um, that could be very interesting uh, for both parties. But I think they – my point being, I think they have a lot of flexibility going forward. Um, and obviously all the various draft assets that they could be getting in you know, the next four, five, six years from the Lakers, um, depending on how everything pans out for them, um, this is a fucking home run. For David Griffin, like again, you have not seen a trade like this since, like as far as trading a star player, you haven't seen a trade like this since the Brooklyn trade, as far as the amount of assets that they got back. And the crazy thing is, with the Brooklyn trade, they didn't get back any real prospects. They just got back like all the draft picks. Like they're getting back draft picks plus three young prospects who still have value. Um, this is probably the best haul that has ever been gotten for a superstar home fucking run for David Griffin and the Pelicans. Um, it, it, it totally makes sense to me why Gail Benson, as much as she probably did not want to trade into the Lakers with that kind of deal on the table, you just can't say no. Yeah, you, you get a team that desperate. It's like, why would you say no? You finally got them desperate enough to do what uh, you wanted. Take it. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd say the one thing that if you were Brooklyn, you would have wished you got is a player of caliber of uh, right. Anthony Davis. It would have made all of it worth it because um, you would have been able to look back and say, well, look, we made that trade, sure. Was it maybe not the brightest? Okay, sure, but, look, we got Anthony Davis at it. So that's what right. I'm saying. If you're a yeah, Lakers fan, make no mistake. Like Anthony Davis, especially at his age, is more valuable than Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce at their ages of the trade. Uh, right at, at the juncture of the trade, yeah, with with Brooklyn and Boston, yeah, absolutely. Right. So Lakers would be able to look back and at least say that. Say if he decides to stay long term, regardless of how everything else plays out. Your team did everything they could to get a player of his caliber, and they got him. Now, whether they're able to surround him with winnable talent for them to be a uh, contender, that's to be seen. But they did it. 
Um, so you can't say, like, how did you mess up getting Anthony Davis? Now he went blah, blah, blah and resigned there. Like, no, I got him. We have him. Now what we could do with him going forward, that's to be seen. But as, a, right. as an organization, you at least have to say you tried. Just like Knicks fans aren't that upset that you didn't get um, Anthony Davis. Well, they shouldn't be because these are the same fans that complained about, oh, you, you sacrificed everything to get Melo when you would have just come anyway. Right. right, and it's like, right. so you can't be upset that they said, I learned from that, and I refuse to do it again. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think both Boston and New York were smart in not dealing. Um, and I think if the Lakers had been smarter, they would have – um, not giving up as much in order to get him. Um, but, hey, like you said, they got the guy. Um, it's just going to depend – it's going to, to to depend on what they do going forward and if they have the ability to win now with Anthony Davis and LeBron, re-sign Anthony Davis, and then when LeBron's contract is up, re-sign uh, another – max level guy to pair up with Anthony Davis and to make the right draft picks along the way with their limited amount of draft resources um, and to sign the fringe guys that they need to sign. Um, it's a lot of what ifs. Um, that's all I'm saying. Uh, but with that in mind, um, what do you think the Lakers should do going forward? Who do you think they should target? There's been obviously the rumors that they're targeting Kimba Walker. Um there has been the rumor that Kyrie Irving uh, may be pivoting off of um, his uh, Brooklyn uh, first stance and, and, and would possibly join the Lakers um, because they just acquired Anthony Davis. Um, but if you're the Lakers, what are you looking to do with this roughly 30, $28 to $32 million worth of cap space? Um, you know, uh, to 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 fill out this roster next to obviously uh, LeBron, AD, and Kuzma. I'm honestly looking at Jimmy Butler, uh, and the main reason why I would look at a guy like Jimmy Butler is his intangibles, his intangibles defensively, his intangibles offensively. Um, I want that, and he's a guy that buys in. Like I don't ever have to worry about because to me the biggest thing it seemed like Jimmy did not want to play with is you. So I'm thinking if I'm the Lakers, I got LeBron there. Um, LeBron hopefully being a leader, like some people are telling me LeBron was, but we didn't see it last year. Um, Being the leader can get AD to buy in, Kuzma to buy in. Both guys look like they just want to win. So they they don't look like they're going to give you any headaches. They just want to win games. Like AD doesn't care if he has 15 and and 10. He just wants to win. If you tell him he can go to the Western Conference Finals, go ahead. It's no coincidence that they kept they prioritized keeping Kuzma over every other young guy on that. Right. Right. So to me, I want a guy like Jimmy Butler because what I could do for my uh, point guard position, just keep Rondo. Uh, just keep Rondo. Get another guy that's just a floor general that can put everyone in the position they need to be in. Um, and he has a so great LeBron James relationship. Is your best three point shooter. Again. <laughs> Essentially. Essentially, yes. But the biggest that's difference rough, here bro. is. But but the biggest difference here is, remember when LeBron was like, oh, I want playmakers. I want guys that can create their own offense. I want guys that I can pass sure. it to and they know to do something with it. You now have yeah. the best options of that. 
Like, you don't just have a Lance sure. Stevenson or a Michael Beasley. You have a Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets. You have Anthony Davis. You have Kuzma. Um, you have guys that you hope essentially offensively can do what needs to be done. Um, so if I'm yeah. LeBron, I, I like the idea of having guys that I could say, you know what, I'm not that great at making free throws late in the game. I now have guys I can depend on to do that for me. Um, I don't have guys that will crack under pressure. I don't have guys that have never seen this before. Um, I have guys that want these moments. AD seems like he wants these moments. Kuzma doesn't shy from it. And we know Jimmy, uh, he, he requires um, that. He requires the moments. Yeah. Um, so to me, if, if I'm the Lakers, a lineup of Rondo, um, Jimmy, LeBron, Kuzma, or switch that however you want, and AD at the five, mm-hmm. that's not a horrible lineup yeah. going into next season. No, it's a very good lineup. Um, all right, I told you I, told you I had a hot take um, leading okay. into this show. And here's my hot take. If the Lakers spend their remaining cap money on a max-level guy, they will not win a championship. If they, in turn, spend that remaining money on role players that make sense next to LeBron and AD, they will win a championship. This is what I mean by that. They have about 30 ish million dollars to spend in in cap space um the the you know whether um it depends on when this deal is actually you know put into place um whether this is after free agency which it could be whether it's before free agency which it could be um whether it is um uh you know conducted um uh, you know whether uh, Anthony Davis chooses to take his his four million dollar um, uh, trade bonus, all of this factors in. But my point is this: um, you could either sign a guy like Jimmy Butler, and yes, you could bring back Rondo on the room level exception. That would be worth about four point six million dollars. Um, I would not expect that Rondo is going to get know some kind of offer especially not an offer on a contender that is um equivalent to that and you know you he would have the role that he would want he wants to be a starting point guard um so i have no doubt that you would be able to pull that off um so that's very much within reason um i would elect to go with instead of signing a max guy for 32.7 million dollars i would sign three guys who are going to be really good role players next to the core that I have of LeBron, AD, and Kuzma. The guys that I would target, the the, the first guys I would target would be um, Patrick Beverly uh, as my, my starting point guard, um, mainly because of his defense, his three-point shooting ability. Um, he's like a career 38, 39% three-point shooter. Um, and uh, I think he those those numbers would be even better, you know, playing with a guy like LeBron. Um, I would target Danny Green. Uh, he did not have a particularly great finals, but that probably only means that his his value uh, or his cost rather um, would be lower than it would be had he had a terrific finals. Um, but I think he could be a solid three and D guy for your team. Um, and I would target. Another shooter um, slash wing player, um, uh, maybe who's not necessarily as good of a defender, but who you get uh, on a similar 
eight to ten million dollar a year contract. A guy like Wayne Ellington, uh, Terrence Ross comes to mind. He's also a free agent. Um, KCP is also still out there. He has not been good while he's been highly inconsistent for the Lakers. Um, but here's the thing: he's been on the Lakers for two years, so maybe you could convince Rich Paul to to convince him that signing a vet minimum contract um, on that team, uh, and at that point, because he had played for them for three years, the Lakers would have his bird rights. So the wake, the Lakers could give like a little wink-wink, nod-nod deal, like sign a vet minimum, and then we'll overpay you next year um, You know, once the team is already in place. Um, like I think that's a possibility, especially considering I don't think there's a very great market for KCP. Um, so like I think that would honestly be not only best for the Lakers but best for him financially going like forward. Um, so that I would do. And then for the room level exception, I would be looking at signing uh, uh, again a backup point guard. Um, you know I don't. I, I like Alex Caruso, but I, I just don't – I see him as a third-string point guard, not a second-string point guard. Um, definitely not a playoff guy who's going to come in and give you valuable playoff minutes. Um, I'd be looking at signing Derrick Rose to that room-level exception of $4.6 million. Um, now, maybe he thinks he could get more on the open market, um, but with his injury concern, he had a great season last year, but he only played like 52 games so um, because of injuries. Um, so he's always got that injury concern. But if you could convince him with the Lakers, like, look, we'll give you that one year, $4.6 million, or we'll give you two years, like $9.5 million, whatever you want. But you're like, you'll come in, you'll be the backup point guard, um, and you'll be able to, like, come off the bench and basically be our six-man type. Um, like, I think that would be appealing to him in the, in the notion that he could win a championship. I think that would be a much better way for the Lakers to spend their existing cap space than to go after a Jimmy Butler or a Kimball Walker um, or even a Kyrie Irving. Even if they were able to get somebody like Kyrie Irving who has proven to be great alongside LeBron, you're just – you don't have the depth at that point. Um, you're relying on a slew of vet minimums, and so maybe you get some really solid vet minimums to come in, but – those guys are not not going to be difference makers, um, you know, come playoff time. So I would rather split that max cap spot up into three solid three and D type players, or at least um, two three and D players, and and then one guy who can just like shoot um, off the bench. Then I would just throw in that at a max guy. I don't think that's going to work out for the Lakers because they're just not going to have any fucking depth whatsoever. Um, I, get, do, I, I, I know I'm going against what you just said, but do you, are you smelling what I'm selling? Do you, do you like, are, you, are you at least seeing where I'm coming from here? Well, yes, I, I do, but I told you I find benches to be overrated come playoff time. If you have a starting five of what I was projecting. Until- Benches are somewhat. Well, no, because think of it like this. Think of it like this. Be completely honest with me, Nick. If Durant wasn't injured, if DeMarcus wasn't injured, we're looking at a completely different theory. And they had a weak bench. 
Absolutely. So, but, I, hey, okay, be honest with me. All right? So I'll give you that, but be honest with me uh-huh. here. Um, do you think that uh, as third option, do you think that Chris Bosh and Kevin Love played up to their actual potential as NBA players, as third options? That's a tough question because Bosch really thrived in it. Um, was he a 30-point-per-game guy? No. Did he? But no, he no, did. No, no, no. He did. No, he was not a 30-point-per-game guy, dude. Like, no, that's what I'm saying. Stats, was he that? But... No, 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 no. I'm not saying he was. I'm oh, saying okay. was he? No. But – did he do really well in his position? Um, you know, is it right, in right, his right, position right, right, on that right, right. Okay, 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 great. I, I, I'll give you that. He figured out how to adapt to being the third option. But couldn't you have had somebody at a half the price who would have been able to do exactly what Bosch did, um, but you didn't need a guy of Bosch's caliber to do all of the other things Bosch could do because there wasn't the ability, there wasn't the 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 role didn't require him to do the other um, half of the things that he could do. That's my point. Like I would rather have m- more guys who could fill out the roster than one guy who's not going to be able to maximize his potential as the third option. Whether that's Kimball Walker, yeah. Jimmy Butler, or Kyrie Irving, I just I think that's the better way to go. And we've seen that proven. Twice now with LeBron James' big threes, the the third option always suffers. So just why don't you just go with two superstars, and then you get just fucking great role players who can play defense to pair alongside them. And like I don't, I I, I will at least give you that like your first choice being Jimmy Butler. At least you picked like a really good defensive player, um, and not a Kyrie Irving or a Kemba Walker who like are both of whom are not good defensive players. Um, so, like, I'll give you that. But at the same time, like, what you would be asking him to do, I just feel like you would be able to get enough out of those other guys that I mentioned um, that would um, counteract his his kind of insignificant role. Um, like, his role would be even more insignificant than it was in Philly. Um, and, yeah, I, I just – I don't think you would get your the bang for your buck out of another max guy with both LeBron and AD on your roster unless one of them got hurt. Here's here's where you do get your bang for your buck. If you're LeBron, right? You've been asking if if that's a roster that plays out. You've been asking for a roster, right. a roster, excuse me, like that for a long time. Um like a consistent one, one that won't waver and ask to be traded a year, you know, a year or two into the partnership. If you're LeBron, sure. you're looking at last year where you started to see your mortality. Um and you kind of go, yes. maybe I shouldn't put as much uh load on myself as I have been. And if I have a guy like Jimmy Butler and I have a guy like Anthony Davis and Kuzma and Rondo, I wouldn't need mm-hmm. to. I should be the guy that takes a step back and allows them to flourish, and then I step in when I'm needed. Um, that would be the but smartest me, thing to do. Right, but let me interject this just real quick. Uh, we got about two and a half minutes left. Um, okay. I would argue that having more depth would give you more time and more ability to do that than having one other star. 
Well, you would have two in Jimmy Butler and, and Anthony Davis. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you could still win games. Like, LeBron could set out a game, and you could still win a game with a starting lineup of Patrick Beverly, Danny Green, Wayne Ellington at the three, Kyle Kuzma at the four, and Anthony Davis at the five, plus the extra bench help that you would have um, regardless. Like, are you, are, like I, I feel like you're going to have better odds at resting if you have those guys, and especially if you're t- talking about taking on a guy like Jimmy Butler, who also has his health concerns. Kyrie has his health concerns. Uh, Kimba doesn't necessarily have the health concerns, but he has defensive concerns. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just I would rather pull my money and spread it out over the course of a lot of players than than delve into one star. But we got about ninety seconds left. Wrap us up, man. I'll say this: your idea yeah. is like if I'm a Lakers fan, I'd have no issues with it whatsoever. I'd have no issues with either sure. way you decide to go because if you can't win with the kind of players you've been looking to have, um, then I think that says more about you and how you can't change your game than uh, than anything else, unless those players just don't show up. Um, but I, I like your idea a lot. I think the Lakers could sustain uh, success with that also. Um, but if Golden State still has that big four, I'm thinking you might want to go more superstars than uh, than role players. <laughs> but um, But either way, it still works out. Yeah, I think Kevin Durant's decision maybe makes an impact on whether you yeah. you want to go for a big name or whether you want to go for for depth. Um, I'll yep. agree with you there, uh, but uh, we'll see how it all plays out. It's going to be fucking fascinating, um, and it's coming right down the way. We're going to get into it, but first we got the NBA draft. We're going to have that on Thursday. We're going to have a live draft breakdown. Uh, we're going to have a show on Tuesday. Maybe uh, Luke and I will do a mock draft uh, leading into the draft. Um, but we'll definitely have a show for you on Tuesday, regardless of, of what topics we discuss. Uh, so be sure to look out for that. Uh, Monday sucks comes back this Monday. So be sure to check in with that and be sure to check out, uh, the episode of Heat Vibes Live that Juwan and I just did. Uh, that is up now. Uh, so be sure to check that out as well. Um, and check out gbnation.com, all of our great articles and everything else. Um, a lot of great content for you guys. Uh, but uh, we'll see you very soon. Until then, peace. Peace. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.